Welcome to another episode of the Asian Seller Podcast. I'm your host, Meghla Bhardwaj. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about sourcing electronics products from China. And to talk about this, I have with me Dr. Neil O'Connor. Hello, Dr. Neil. How are you? Hi, Meghla. Glad to be here. And uh, thank you for inviting me on this show. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us over here, Dr. Neil. So we've known each other for quite a few years now, since the time I was based in China. So I don't know, maybe eight, 10 years. <laughs> and, global um, sources, yes. Yes, global sources. And you've, of course, spoken at the Global Sources Summit at a couple of, uh, for a couple of times as well. So really excited um, to learn more about sourcing electronics products. Now, of course, my audience, most of the listeners are Amazon and e-commerce sellers, and they're new to sourcing they're you know smaller companies entrepreneurs so they typically start with sourcing very simple products maybe home products kitchen appliances but they shy away from sourcing electronics so what we want to do today is talk a little bit about how electronics products are produced in china and what are some of the pitfalls to to avoid if they want to source electronics from china so before we go into that uh, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about yourself your background and how have you worked with electronics factories in the past oh very yeah very quickly i'll i'll put a thousand words into 20 seconds i grew up on a farm in australia i'm an accountant and i love making things I'm currently a professor of accounting at Monash University in Malaysia. But back in 2011, I started a project, China Supplier 1000, where I interviewed over two and a half years, a thousand suppliers in the electronics industry, just to understand, well, what are the challenges they go through and how, how do they actually run their business models? And this is something that very few buyers know about. And that's something I want to bring to the world, uh, especially through global sources. Uh, since then, 2014-15, I wanted to go one step further, and that is uh, going into factories and videoing their end-to-end processes. So I could actually educate and inform and advise buyers even further by showing videos of the do's and don'ts of what a good factory would look like. And so I've got my video blog, Tech Asia, to over 750 videos with over videos of over 40 electronics factories that anyone can go to and watch uh, those videos. I co-founded the China Sourcing Academy with Mike Bellamy, in which we take buyers from uh, zero into their first product over 11 hours of their bronze course. Uh, co-founder of ricebox.com. I own the domain and that's a China strategy research advisory. So I give a lot of advice to buyers looking to source from China. But for the most part, uh, my greatest experience in helping buyers was doing factory audits for buyers and actually connecting them with proper third parties who can work through other sourcing issues in China. Right. Fantastic. What a lot of experience you have. All right. So let's first of all, give people an overview of electronics manufacturing in China. So can you talk about, you know, the production hubs, products made, and just, just kind of paint the picture for us. Okay. Electronics is not made everywhere in China. It depends a lot on ecosystems. The ecosystem is not just the assembly of your electronic product, but it's actually 
getting the sourcing of batteries and different ICs and uh, different electronic components. So you don't want them to be hundreds of kilometers away from your factory. So the best ecosystems in electronics in China are in uh, Zhejiang province, which is just south of Shanghai, the home of Alibaba, and the Guangdong Pearl River Delta region and just across the border here, Sinjin has been the hotbed of electronics for the last two decades. And they're the general two places you would go to. And because um, equally, they're not just because uh, of the ecosystem of components that go into the manufacturer, What's also important is you have ready access to third-party providers that provide the necessary compliance testing, which you do need in electronics, much more than ordinary household items that you would import from China. Right. So the supply chain is definitely really, really important because a lot of the Chinese electronics factories, what they're basically doing is assembling, right? So can you also talk about the types of factories there are in China? So there are, of course, really small, you know, workshop style factories with a couple of assembly lines. And at the same time, there are huge, gigantic 5,000 worker factories. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I've been to some of these factories, the ones that you just talked about. We could actually, we, we should start with the factories that pretend to be factories, like trading companies, buying agents, wholesalers. It's often over the internet for them to say, oh, we are the factory. Uh, buy from us. And the unsuspecting buyer would assume, oh, I've got a factory. I've got the price. Everything's so easy. And I just have to worry about the, the sales end. No, it's not that easy. It's, it's so important that you have some idea of uh, distinguishing away from the, the agents, the buyers that actually pretend to be uh, factories. So if you go to the next level where you actually have real factories, you have the SME factories or the family-run factories, and they're, they're kind of, we would call them workshops. So there'll be an assembly area. They may have a testing area, but very rarely do they have a design area. Very rarely do they have proper warehousing and temperature-controlled area for the various components that they are storing. So they're the workshop level, and you they're, you know, just tens of thousands of them, but then you go to established factories, which are more those factories that supply to the brands that we know in the consumer market space. And those factories, we call them OEM factories. And an example of one that I've been to twice now, Aoni, just across the border in Sinjin, they, they are in a building that's about seven stories high, seven floors high, and they actually own the whole building in terms of at the bottom end, at the, the first floor, they've got design. The next floor, they've, they've got uh, the areas where they do uh, custom molding and they've got all of the molds and everything. You go to the next level, they've got assembly, next level, SMT machines, dust-free areas. And so the particular levels are dedicated to all the different processes and parts that you need in a real electronics assembly factory. And we would call them the real established factories. And it's very important that you, as, as a buyer going into electronics for the first time, that you may want to get to know one of those established factories first. You need to have a good benchmark to know what type of factory you're really buying from. How good does a workshop uh, compared to one of these factories. So I always uh, advise buyers when you can go across the border, 
tell them that I sent you to go visit Aoni. Go, go and visit them just to see what a real OEM factory looks like. Uh, so, and then, you know, then you've got a top of the range, you've got EMS provider that something like Foxconn that makes the iPhones for Apple. So, you know, they're, they're the range. Uh, buyers come in for the first time. I would encourage them to try and aim for a factory that is already making OEM products, especially in the COVID. You cannot visit the factory. So you're looking for other signals of uh, a good factory. Right. In terms of factory size, do you think it's better for newcomers, Amazon sellers, smaller businesses to work with, you know, smaller factories or, or are even these bigger, more established factories open to working with smaller buyers? I don't think that is a, the biggest uh, issue. I think the biggest issue is knowing whether that factory has a history of making electronics products into the market that you are selling into. Because what you've got to realize is that if you are the first buyer to go to a factory, maybe they're small, maybe they're cheap, and it's perfect for your profit margin that you want in Amazon. But if you are the first customer that asks that factory, oh, uh, we need to do FCC certification. We need to do UL certification. Then you're going to run into problems. You want to go to a factory that has already gone through that process. And it may be a larger factory and it may cost you 10, 15% more on, at, on the FOB price, but it will pay off in the long run because you know that factory is going to be around in the long run. You don't want to just go to a small factory because uh, an example of a smartwatch factory that I visited, videoed, it's in my YouTube, and it no longer exists. But when I went to the factory, everything looked perfect. And it, all the assembly workers had uniforms, they had... Um, they were making smartwatches. And then in the following trade show, I asked them, how's the factory going? They said, oh, we're still selling smartwatches, but we now close the factory and we just outsource to other suppliers. Right. I think another thing that happens in the electronics industry is that suppliers switch products, right, very often. So maybe today, today they're making smartwatches, but tomorrow if there's another popular product that's in demand, they'll switch to that product, right? Yeah, well, that's getting back to, you know, what is in the mind of the supplier? And the mind of the supplier is something that it takes time for a buyer to work out. It's so easy to dress up a supplier online. It is so easy to make a supplier look like the perfect factory online. What is more difficult is to find out who the owner is and are they in this business for the long term? Do they want to make the best product in the world? Uh, do they want to make the best product for you, the buyer? And that takes longer time to figure out. Uh, the online, there are tricks and tips that we can talk about when you're in the online environment to look for. But, you know, that's something you need to watch out for. Don't just go to the smallest one um, that shows up online and gives you the best price. Right. So let's talk about the tips and tricks. So if somebody's searching for uh, suppliers online, say global sources, Alibaba, or maybe they just do a Google search, what are mm. some of the things that they need to keep in mind when selecting a supplier? And what are the red flags, more importantly? Yes. Okay. Well, I, th I think the first step is well, under Chinese law, factories that are really a factory in their business model, they have to say that they are in, they do manufacturing. 
So you could actually go to Global Sources, Alibaba, and you actually can see their business model, their certificate, or how they describe what they do. If they say that they, if, if they are a real factory, they have to say that they do manufacturing. And it's not, it's illegal for them to say that they're doing manufacturing if it represent them as that and they're not doing that. So that's the first thing you need to do online. I think next you need to look for brands that they have actually done assembly for. And also, do they have various compliance certificates? And that's something that you can follow up with them to verify. You can go to an FCC website and actually find that factory registered if they say they have FCC certification, for example. So these things you can do online. It's so critical, especially in electronics. There's so many different certifications you have to get. I'm not expert on all the certifications, but for the buyers, for the first time you're going online, like it would be crazy not to go to a factory that doesn't already have certifications. Now you always got to check those certifications, but you've got to look for them to, to begin with. So certifications, knowing that they have an OEM relationship with established brand names is very critical. And also how long have they been established? That is so critical and have a look at the staff if you go to their website, how many staff do they have in assembly? And a lot of factories have less than 100 staff, but some of the fly-by-nighters may say, oh, we've got 80 staff in assembly, um, but also we've got 80 staff in research and development and testing and design. That, that never happens. If anything, they'll have one, two or three staff in those areas. And sometimes that's a signal that the factory is a fraud and you need to stay away from that. So, you know, these, these are some issues you think about. Uh, how can you, what can you look for online to actually weed out the good factories from the, from the bad? You know, going to the next stage, once you actually have uh, four or five factories that you think are good on from Alibaba or Global Sources, the next stage is you make contact with them and ask them about their certification and ask them about brand names that they have worked with just to see if, because if they've worked with established brand names, you know, they've gone through a quality control process. You know, they've gone through uh, ISO 9000 process, you, you know, especially if it's a, 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 you know, a world globally renowned brand, especially from Japan or Germany or USA. They are so picky about um, how, how good the factory's manufacturing process is. And you, you may also want to ask, do they do their own design just to test them about, okay, how, how extensive are their operations? Uh, so you don't uh, take everything that factories put online at, You've got to take it at face value, but you need to follow up and do the verification. You need to verify the certificates, uh, uh, get references from customers if they have an OEM relationship, particular brand names. And maybe that's not a brand name in your market, like USA. Maybe the factory may 
not want to share with you other customers, then you may say to them, well, uh, Mr. Factory, can you share with us a customer that is in another country that I'm not going to ship to if you can get permission from them. And then you can then, you know, get some sort of verification and that costs nothing. You're just asking permission from the factory to actually get a reference from another customer. Nothing worse than uh, getting swindled by a factory that really looks good online, but they are not what they turn out to be. Now that that's online. Ideally, well, we're in COVID 2020, COVID-19, 2020, we're not going to be visiting factories this year. If you were to visit the factory, then you could go to the next level where you can actually look for or understand how well their materials receiving is. How well do they pack all of their components and do they separate the components like, so to prevent any electro migration problems in the storage of components, which is so critical when it, they are assembled into a product. Um, Anti-static is very critical in the assembly process, especially in the soldering process. Uh, the use of finger gloves is very important because we don't understand how much moisture just comes out of our hands and it's, it's always great to have that tactile feel when you're playing with a product and but workers need to have gloves if they are working with the final product because that moisture you need to keep that away from that product and it goes into your shipping it goes into your and it gets to the other end then other things can go wrong with the product let alone problems with mold and other things. Of course, you know, you've got to counter that with silica and things like that. And it needs to be packed with those products as you do with other products that you're shipping overseas. So, and then finally, you know, it'd be nice to have that factory has a design in-house, then you can actually visit the designer or actually ask about what the designer can do for you. But for the most part, the buyers coming to electronics for the first time don't tweak anything, please. Please don't go to a factory with the view that, okay, they check off on everything that Neil says. Oh, I've got this product, this electronic pen. Maybe it does a digital recording and I want it tweaked. So it also does something else. I push the button, it's got a laser pointer. Don't go to a factory hoping to tweak something, especially in 2020 where you cannot visit the factory and you really cannot have a face-to-face -face discussion with their design team. Uh, so stay away from special designs if this is your first time in electronics. Go with an off-the-shelf product. And there's plenty of factories that offer that these days. Right, that is great advice. So a lot of time what also happens is that there's quality fade. So maybe the first order is really good. There are no problems at all. And then the second and third orders, you know, people start to see more issues with some of the products. Maybe the returns are higher or things don't work um, as described. So what are some tips you have for people to manage quality on an ongoing basis? Well, this gets back to the original selection of the factory. Mm -hmm. If you go with a factory that's going to cost you 10%, 15% more on the FOB, it's likely you can help overcome that, mitigate that risk. That is a huge risk, quality fade. Uh, what you're going to get with a better factory is not necessarily quality fade. It's more likely you're going to get 
price increase in the second order and the third order. So you're going to have, you're going to run into the other problem. Yeah. And for you as an importer of records, especially in the USA, that is a, that's not a real risk. That's more of your business model risk. Quality fade is a much larger risk for you as importer of record. So I would err on the other side where you're actually, you select a more expensive factory and expect that they will negotiate a, a higher price on the second, third order. You may talk about that in the negotiations. Okay, Neil, I don't have in my business model to build in a 15% more FOB price. What can I do? Okay, let's go back to that cheaper factory where you expect a quality fade. And okay, on the first order, yes, you get your product inspection and you know there's many inspectors will go into your factory inspect the product and charge you 299 dollars for the day i always say that okay we're going to a cheaper factory they're giving me the best fob price i can have i'm going to expect quality fade and actually i'm going to expect quality problems even on the first order so instead of okay i'm talking to the inspector uh, Mr. and Mrs. Inspector, can you know you tell me what you, you're only going to inspect a hundred units out of my ten thousand for to work out the AQL, the acceptable quality levels, uh, before I press the button and then ship. I want you to spend three days at that factory and inspect three hundred units, so I have greater assurance that we're going to have AQLs across those 10,000 units I am shipping on my first order. And then, so that's going to cost you what? 1,000 US dollars to divide that by, that's going to cost you three times more. So instead of, you know, the FOB price at 10,000 divided by 299, 29 cents, it's going to cost you a dollar. So your FOB price went from 30 cents, it went up by 70 cents. And so that's not a small increase. That's not, large enough increase to worry about your margin, but you are getting three times the assurance in terms of making sure that you have an acceptable quarter unit across your 10,000 units. And uh, this is not unusual that when you, you're for a 10,000 unit order for a quality inspector to go in and just inspect only a hundred units. So quality fade further on on the second order you actually pay for an inspector to do three days again and you pay a thousand us dollars for three days 299,000 for three days you know about 900 exactly all right and you do that again that's how you do it you can only prevent quality fade especially from a distance you're not visiting the factory. You don't know all the other ins and outs of the factory. You have to rely on the third party inspector more. And so I would, you just got to double, triple the money you invest in quality inspection. Right. What are some ways in which factories cut corners, uh, you know, electronics factories? What are some things that people need to be aware of when they are maybe doing the QC on their products or just in general, how do suppliers cut corners? Yeah. Definitely material receivables inspection. I'll give you an example of a Bluetooth speaker manufacturer. And they had problems on the assembly line, a lot of rejects. And I said, well, why, did the, why, did the, why are the rejects happening? And 
they said, oh, it's this uh, electronic component that, you know, that's come from our other supplier. I said, why didn't you test the component before you put it in assembly? And I talked to the owner about this. And he said, look, our Bluetooth speakers, it's, it's four US dollars FOB. You know, why on earth would I spend more money on receivable, re receivables inspection to have perfect assembly process. What they don't realize is that once it goes through assembly and gets rejected, then you've got labor and an overhead going and to the cost under that product. That factory, of course, they don't pass it on to you, the buyer, but that factory is less sustainable in the long run if they keep having that practice. And, and in the end, what will happen on your second order, they'll realize, oh, look, you know, Mr. Buyer, you know, in the last run we had, we had 15% rejects on our assembly line. We've had problems in manufacturing. You know, our FOB price is too low. We need to put it up from $4 to $5 US dollars. And so, you know, things like this is going to happen. They'll use that as an excuse because they don't want to invest in materials receiving. The other thing is outsourcing without telling you. And ideally, you know, when you visit the factory, you can actually have this conversation with them to, look, I know you're going to outsource. I'd just like to know the factory you're going to outsource from so I can send the QC inspector to visit that factory as well. And I think the, so you, you know, you can test on that, but there's other shortcuts they take, and especially with uh, batteries. Like we're in, we're talking about electronics today. We're not talking about non-electronic goods. So with electronics, you're going to likely to have a battery inside. And this is one area where they take shortcuts. That is, they'll get a cheap battery from a cheap supplier. Maybe they'll get a battery from a supplier and has Samsung printed on it. And you think, oh, we've got the latest batteries from Samsung. No, you haven't. Uh, and a lot of batteries are put in the products and they're not even tested. They're not even tested for their impedance, impedance and how long they work for. So these are shortcuts on the battery side is happens all the time. So be very, very careful. Your most critical component in electronics is the battery. And so this is something that in the your order and your contract of order with the factory, you need to make you need to be very, very clear or you need to have a very good conversation with the QC inspector about the battery and if the QC inspector doesn't know about the battery component and they're only inspecting the operation of the unit at the end, maybe you need to have a better QC inspector. You want someone who has some sense about the batteries inside. Can they test the battery? I'll give you a good example. The, there was one client <coughs> that was made, making power bank products, 10,000 milliamp hour power bank and they were shipped the weight was perfect, passed QC inspection, got to the other end, and they had complaints from their clients saying, this power paint doesn't last 10,000 milliamp hours. Shoot, it just dies down very quickly. So he got it properly tested, and it only had a 5,000 milliamp hour battery inside. Now, in order to pass inspection, during the inspection process, they got the inspector to weigh the power bank product to make sure that it should weigh like a 10,000 milliamp hour power bank. But they actually put a 5,000 milliamp hour battery inside and then they filled up the rest of the cavity with sand. And so these things are going on. So you just need to realize that these, uh, these are shortcuts and they'll take them, especially now when you cannot visit the factory and 
getting back to my original point earlier, you need to have a, a much deeper conversation with the QC inspector to make sure that they know everything about what's going into that product and not just testing the product operation at the end. Right. That is great advice. Also, I feel that sometimes, um, you know, there's miscommunication because of which this happens. So it's also very important for importers, buyers to detail their specifications very, very clearly and make it clear in their contract and the product spec sheet that they give to the suppliers, what exactly they want, what mm. components and materials they want to use. So, but of course you're right. I mean, there are unscrupulous suppliers that will just uh, mm. switch the materials and cut corners. So for that, mm. you have to manage your quality control really, really well. Just on that spec sheet, what's it? I would encourage buyers to contact third-party QC company to actually work with you on that spec sheet. Mm. And we're talking to buyers that are importing electronics for the first time. Pay the QC company, look, Mr. QC company, you're going, I want you to do two days, three days of inspections. I just don't want to pay two ninety nine for one day and not see you again. I want to work with you for a long-term relationship. So we're talking about a relationship with the QC company now, not a relationship with the supplier. This is the message I wanted to take home here. And you talk with the QC company about, well, tell us, you know, this is what we want to import from China. Uh, you have worked with similar products before. Tell us, you know, here's a spec sheet that we have, uh, you know, is there any other things that we are missing on this spec sheet? And talk to the QC supplier, Use bring them on as a partner to make sure that that QC process becomes the, the major eyes on the ground in the factory because you cannot visit the factory yourself. Right. Yeah. And of course, there are a few different QC companies that uh, you know we have worked with in the past. So mm. um, there's Kima, Q-I-M-A. They're very mm. reliable and, and well-known. And then there's also V-Trust. So we actually recently did an interview with V-Trust in oh, um, our Facebook group. So yeah, in case anyone's interested in uh, reaching out to V-Trust, go look for that interview in the Asian Seller Community Facebook group. It's right there. Okay, great. So um, would you advise new sellers to go factory direct or in some cases, is it better to work via a sourcing agent? I think going factory direct is, I, that's the ideal after several orders. And if you're getting your, if you're dipping your toes in the water in electronics for the first time, then going for an, a sourcing agent uh, will be the best way to go. Uh, and you, but you don't want to do that too many times, especially if your FOB price is between uh, 15 and 50 US dollars, because you're not going to get bang for your buck out of that. Right. I think you should also consider the fact that you can't travel to China currently. Mm. So maybe in, in the current scenario, working via a sourcing agent or having yes. some boots on the ground might mm. be um, beneficial so they can visit the factory and do a bit of due diligence on your behalf. Okay, great. So is there anything else you want to talk about related to electronics or? I'll finish with the last, yeah. uh, last example. And that was uh, two suppliers. And actually you could go to Global Sources, Alibaba and see them today. And one of them, they made FOB price of the headphones for 
$8.50 for a headphone. And you could actually source that headphone, sell it on Amazon, you know, within, within a week. And, you know, you can find that today, sell it on Amazon, $6.50, and then you'd sell it for four times that price, etc. It's a basic headphone and it works lovely. There's actually a video of, in my YouTube talking about uh, that headphone. Or you can go up to the higher level and it, like Aoni, they're making the headphones, but it's got ANC. It's got automatic noise cancelling, a, a totally different product altogether. But the FOB price is $35. US So in the end, uh, you know, you're going to make money selling on Amazon. You need to think, okay, I've got a cheap headphone. Uh, what's the competition for that cheap headphone? If I'm bringing it in FOB price for a MOQ of 1000 at $6.50, then I'm going to sell it for 25, 30 US dollars. What's my competition for a basic headphone over the ear, but it's no ANC. Okay. So that's a, that's one business strategy. And then another marketing strategy for the ANC headphone. Okay. Let's source for Mayoni, which we talked about. And suddenly I'm talking about 35 US dollars FOB price. Well, you're not going to sell it on Amazon for less than 120 or more to make any money. And then you need to go and have a look at the competition. And there's a lot of competition out there in the ANC headphone space. So in the end, you know, you you've got your factories, you're going to get a range of products, a range of prices, but then you've got to go back to the market. You're comparing with an Amazon. So you've got to take a holistic view of the sourcing. It's got to integrate with your marketing strategy. And so not all prices fit every marketing strategy. Right. It also depends on your budget, you know, how much budget yes. do you have to start mm. with. So that's another consideration. Okay, awesome. So do you also want to talk about your uh, your project, the Supplier 1000 project? What was that all about? And is it still going on? It's always ongoing in terms of, that's always a question I ask when I go to the factories, oh, what's your biggest challenge? And then we start the conversation. But the whole idea of starting that was to get my footprint in this area and to actually really understand, well, what's going on with the suppliers? And then that brought greater opportunities in terms of the advisory I now do, the consulting I now do. And also I do a lot of pro bono work in working with factories. Like when I visit the factories, I actually give them suggestions for how they can improve their operations. They're not always in that position to improve, but some of them do listen, others don't, but I'm there to help them. I think uh, both sides need help and it's not about extracting uh, a fee for all the help I give. I just love helping the factories. And in the process, I can give a lot of advice to buyers in, in the same process. And I do a lot of connecting of buyers. If I cannot go across the border, I've got lots of associates across the border I can connect buyers with and they can actually visit factories if that needs to be done. Right. So where can people find more information about uh, Supplier 1000? Well, the Supply 1000, I had, I've actually morphed that into my China research, China strategy research website, and that is uh, www.ricebox.com. I own that brand name, I, and I own that domain name. I bought that over 25 years ago. Very lucky. <laughs> okay, uh, ricebox.com, and so they could go there. You could email me at neil at ricebox.com. And you can find out more about the China Supply 1000. You can also find out more about the China Sourcing Academy. 
and other things that I do. And just hit me up on email, neal, N-E-A-L-E, at ricebox.com. Happy to help. The conversations don't always end up with me charging a fee. It's all about solving problems. I want to bring value to the community. I want buyers to have a greater understanding of how suppliers, they are struggling as well. Suppliers are struggling to find buyers. They are struggling to find markets to actually figure out how can they become a sustainable factory. So in the process, I like to help them. I think I'd like to finish, if you permit me, with uh, just talking about the China Sourcing Academy. Uh, you know, my, so, set it up with Mike Bellamy several years ago and our popular bronze course of over 11 hours of training, we moved that to Udemy to make it more accessible to people all around the world. The normal price is always between $99 and $199, but we have a special deal for listeners to this podcast or on the YouTube. If they use the, the code CHINA39, then they can get access to our bronze course for 39 US dollars. And that's over 11 hours of training. If you type in China sourcing as in the search bar in Udemy, our bronze sourcing training academy comes up uh, as the top rated academy in Udemy. So if you go in there, China 39 and 39 US dollars into our bronze course. Okay, that's fantastic. I will, of course, put all of the links in the show notes. So in case anyone's interested, you can go to the website, theasianseller.com, look for this podcast, and then get all of these links on the podcast notes page. All right, Dr. Neil, thank you so much for your time today. It was really good talking to you, and I will see you around. Thank you, Megla. It's a pleasure on your show, and good luck to all the listeners out there. Appreciate it.